Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Nathan Maines. Staff and students in our public schools are under a great deal of academic, social, and emotional pressures every day. Children too often bring to school additional stressors from an increasingly harried and hurried world, making learning that much more difficult. A tool some schools are using to mitigate the effects of these stressors is mindfulness practices. Today we're joined by Karen Chris. She's the principal of Belfont Elementary School in Center County. Uh, and she's been instrumental in creating a mindfulness initiative to develop focused learning and create this culture of kindness. Karen, welcome. Thank you for having me. Can you give our listeners a little background on Belfont's mindfulness program? Uh, you know, where did the idea come from and, and how did you get it started? Sure. Um, before I came to work at Belfont Elementary, I was the principal at our middle school. At that time, I was um, looking for something to improve our social and emotional programs there. So as I was exploring this, I came across information about mindfulness, but was um, having trouble getting some buy-in from my staff. So when I moved to Belfont Elementary, I realized that that population had some unique needs. The school is 57% free and reduced lunch. Uh, There's a lot of at-risk students and families there. We have an autistic support classroom in the building. Um, teachers were working their guts out, but our test scores and our academic achievement were still lagging. Um, so I felt that if we could address some of their social and emotional needs, students might be in a better frame of mind to learn. So um, as you know, we're about 15 minutes from Penn State University where there has been some ongoing research in the area of mindfulness. Um, and they approached us at one time about their program called Care for Teachers um, through Krista Turksma and um, some of the work by Tish Jennings. And we're trying to bring mindfulness courses to teachers. Um, again, I had a struggle to get teachers interested. Um, we worked with Penn State to share the course with our administrative team. So I went through an eight-week program with other administrators um, at, Belfont, at Belfont School District. And um, we learned how to have a personal practice and, um, and learned that a personal practice can lead to improved atmosphere just by practicing mindfulness on a personal level. So. Um, we also learned that to teach it to students it's important, um, but more important to teach it to teachers. And I would add that the principals practicing it is also important. So this led me to start exploring how to bring this to interested teachers at Belfont Elementary and ultimately to our students. So we have a child psychologist in our area whose private practice result revolves primarily around mindfulness. His name's um, Dr. Peter Motnamy. He also does a lot of parent and community programs around mindfulness. So I contacted him and I found out that he worked with other schools and we made a plan to bring the training to our teachers and our students this past spring at Belfont. Who can tell me about a time you practice your mindfulness recently? All right, what did you practice? I practice it when I'm on my bed. Yeah, when you're on your bed at night and maybe sometimes you're having trouble falling asleep and what did you do? What kind of mindfulness did you do? It is mindful hearing. Yeah, remember we learned that mindfulness is paying attention to what? here and now, to things that are here and now, and we learn how to be able to pay careful attention to what's going on right here and now. And it sounds like when you did your mindful hearing, you heard so many things because you've gotten so good at listening very carefully when you do that. Excellent. Thank you. And we'll spend the next minute with the sound of the bell, beginning and ending our practice, just bringing your attention down to your anchor spot and noticing your breath today. And I'll guide you a little bit, and then we'll have some quiet time for you to guide your own attention. Ready? 
Allow your body to become still and quiet. And let your eyes close or look gently down in front of you. And you can bring your attention now to the sound of the bell. What kind of school board support was necessary for you to be able to get this program off the ground? And what's the reaction been so far? So we're really lucky at Belfont that our school board um, has a lot of trust in administration that supports us and our teaching staff when we have innovative ideas or things we want to try. So I had a private donor who had given us some money at Belfont Elementary that I was able to use to fund the initial training. So I've kept the school board informed, um, and actually one school member came out and visited the school to watch students practicing mindfulness and had an opportunity to trap, excuse me, had an opportunity to chat with a group of second graders about what it was like to learn mindfulness and how they're using it at school and at home. So he left saying that he would support and, and actually encourage the spread of this to other buildings in the district. So the board support's been really positive. What kind of examples uh, are you seeing from teachers that are putting mindfulness uh, to work in their classrooms? Sure. So that's, this has been the most exciting part for me. Um, the teachers learned along with the students um, as Dr. Montnamy um, provided lessons and assignments for the students as well as the teachers each week for the eight weeks that he, that he came in. Um, as part of the training, they were, the teachers were initially expected to um, help students practice a mindful minute every single day to reinforce the skills that were being taught. Um, they were also, also supposed to look for mindful moments when it could help students in a stressful moment. So if you've ever worked in a school, of course, you know these moments are not hard to find, um, especially at recess, lunch, hallway transitions, testing days, times when they're working in cooperative groups, and so on. So the idea is that you invite students to use the strategies, not simply impose upon them because you want students to begin to self-regulate and use the strategies on their own, not just because the teacher said so. So an example would be when students return, from, return to class from recess or a special where they might gotten a little excited or struggling to transition back to the more academic setting so, um, or prior to a test. My name is Khadija and I'm in second grade. Mindfulness at school is like when I get mad at my friends. Um, I try, I like, I feel like I'm gonna do something to them and then I do belly breathing. It makes me feel better. I'm Sophina and I'm in grade, and my grade is second grade. I like about when Dr. Peter teaches us about belly breathing and uh, mindful listening. When I'm doing a test, I'm kind of shaky, kind of nervous, but then I just use a belly, then I use my belly breathing. It makes me feel happy and, and makes me remember Dr. Peter. So a teacher described to me that she had a student, um, this was a third grader, who had very high anxiety with any testing situation, whether it was something as simple as a weekly spelling test or it could have been a major um, unit test in math. And this student often stood at the back table to take tests because he often paced while taking tests. Um, after learning mindfulness strategies, the teacher would prompt him by asking him, you know, what he noticed about the situation, how he was feeling, um, or what he noticed about his body. And then would prompt him by asking him what he needed to do to reduce his anxiety. 
So now that the student had some mindfulness strategies, he could choose which one to implement. And it might have been something as simple as a mindful walk down the hall and back to refocus. Um, sometimes it was three mindful breaths or a quick body scan, mindful listening or mindful breathing. Um, most times he chose the three mindful breaths and a quick body scan and was able to sit and take his test more calmly. Uh, then there was a second grade teacher who um, collected her class from uh, to Zed one day and um, thought they were fine, but as they were getting drinks before returning to class, she noticed they were kind of snapping at each other. Um, when she asked what was going on, one of the kids reported that the game in PE had been a little too competitive and they were still a little grumpy about it. Um, so then the students themselves suggested that they maybe take a mindful moment. So they did. They stood in the hallway and they took a mindful moment. Um, and then they walked mindfully back to class and reported that they were more calm and able to get past it and get back on track. Um, my fourth grade teacher who was involved in the project, um, fourth graders in our building changed classes for certain subjects. And so the fourth grade teacher um, in the mindfulness project started each class with a mindful moment just so he could set the tone for the class and get students focused right from the start. Any, any unintended benefits? Well, so I wasn't expecting this, but I got less calls from those rooms and less office referrals from these classes as the, the um, project um, moved forward. Um, there was actually an autistic student in one of these classes who was having a bad week, and um, the teacher really had enough and um, was sort of complaining to me. And um, I asked her, sort of, when someone's participating in the mindfulness, we often ask them, what do you notice and what do you need? to work through something. So I actually asked her, what do you notice and what do you need? Um, and these, these questions sort of triggered her and suggested a mindful reflection on her part. So the teacher then was able to kind of like talk to me and say, hey, th thanks for the prompt. You know, I really needed to do a mindful moment myself because then I could put some space between what was happening with the student and how I was reacting and, and better cope with um, what the student was presenting. Um, I've also seen benefits to me as an administrator in my personal practice, my job is very stressful as you might guess. Um, and so I'm feeling less stressed on the job. And um, because additional teachers participated in an after school course, we now have a common language that we use throughout the school. Um, and my guidance counselor introduces mindfulness through our guidance curriculum, but kids didn't really often have um, much time to practice it during the guidance lesson because he doesn't meet with them every week. And so once teachers who had learned about mindfulness and had a little training, then kids had to have a little training in their guidance curriculum. Teachers knew they could build on that, and um, so they did. Word also got out across the district what we were doing and created some buzz. So at our in-service days, teachers can choose from a menu of sessions to attend. And our mindfulness um, sessions that we offered have been very popular and at times actually standing room only. So we've actually created some interest across the district. What feedback have you received from families of the students that have been involved in the program to date? So um, at my monthly PTO meetings after the program had started, um, I just did a sort of a general review of what the program was and what we were doing and how it was operating. And there were several parents in the PTO meeting that night whose kids were participating in the study. and. Um, so they were um, familiar with what I was talking about. And all the parents were very positive about it. And um, when I asked them if their children you know, talked about the project or practiced it at home, they overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly stated that many of their children 
were using mindfulness to help them fall asleep at night if they were having trouble falling asleep. Um, they also said that when their house, you know, had a chaotic moment, their kids would um, sometimes suggest to them that they take a mindful moment and um, would all stop and take some deep breaths. And, and so I kind of find that fascinating that the kids actually were taking it home um, to the level that they were because that's not what I expected. Any uh, plans for the program going forward? Uh, any thoughts on how this might be extended uh, within the district? Okay, so well, I'm a dreamer, and so I'm, uh, I usually dream big and um, then usually try to find a way to inter-project along until we get to the big picture. So at Belfont Elementary um, in my building, my plan is to you know, find more money, whether it's through grants or donations, and have um, Dr. Montany come back and teach it to um, three more classes and teachers next year um, as a, like a very specific training for those classes. Um, we also have a staff member in the district who's currently taking a course to be a trainer. And Dr. Montney and I are working together to find ways to have staff trained as trainers so that we can help minimize the cost in the future and make it more sustainable. Um, since there's a lot of interest across the district, um, um, the teachers attending these short in-service days, um, my goal is to try to train a few teachers in each building every year who can lead the charge in their buildings. So, and then of course, hoping that it would become more of a standard practice across the district. And um, actually, the, the last day of school, a teacher approached me and asked if we could do a book study this summer and read a book on mindfulness in the classroom and then um, try to plan a way to support teachers who want to practice mindfulness and possibly as a group, you know, practice together at times. And, and finally, any suggestions you have for other school districts that could benefit from a mindfulness program like yours, uh, resources and, and other things that you'd be able to share? Yeah, so I would, you know, say, you know, it's kind of a buzz right now, but, you know, um, so read through materials and literature and talk to people who you consider experts in the field because um, it's not just about teaching kids to meditate um, and those kind of things. It's, it's a bigger thing than that. So um, I, some of the resources that I use, um, we worked with CARE for Teachers, C-A-R-E for Teachers, which stands for Cultivating Awareness and Resilience in Education. And that was um, developed by the Garrison Institute, but there's research with that care at Penn State University, which we work with because we're close by. And it's also directly linked to Tish Jennings' book, um, Mindfulness for Teachers, um, that she wrote. We, we also used that book in the trainings with Dr. Montany. Um, and then uh, Care for Teachers has a website that's called www.care4teachers.com. Um, the curriculum that Dr. Montany uses with our students comes from uh, mindfulschools.org, uh, which also has a training program for teachers on it as well. And um, we often, just as a resource for teachers in the classroom, especially at the elementary level, in addition to our second step guidance curriculum, we um, frequently use Mind Yeti and Go Noodle, which are websites that are kid friendly and have mindfulness videos that, that teachers can use as well as families. My thanks again to uh, Karen Chris. She is the principal of Belfont Elementary School, and she's joined us today talking about their mindfulness initiative. PowerSchool is the leading K-12 education technology provider of solutions that improve the education experience for 100 million students, teachers, and parents in over 70 countries around the world. 
PowerSchool provides the industry's first unified classroom experience, empowering teachers with best-in-class, secure, and compliant online solutions, including student information systems, learning management and classroom collaboration, assessment, analytics, behavior, special education case management, and finance HR ERP. Learn how PowerSchool does all of this and drives student growth. Visit PowerSchool.com. The Success Starts Here campaign has been up and running since September 2016. Its mission is to spread the positive news about public education. One story highlighted through the campaign has been the Strathaven High School bocce team, a recognized PIAA sport. Strathaven is in the Wallingford Swarthmore School District in Delaware County. Joining me by phone today are Principal Mary Jo Yannacone and Life Skills teacher Sarah Holt. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> First, some of our listeners may not be familiar with bocce. Tell us a little bit more about the sport. Sure. So, um, you know, my experience with bocce was always kind of as a yard game. And then my co-coach, who's actually out on maternity leave right now, but my co-coach, Kelly Creighton, um, brought this to my attention where uh, the Special Olympics does an indoor bocce. Um, so we, we have a PVC court PVC pipes court set up, um, and we have the, the bocce balls, and there's um, there's a ball called the Polina. So you have you have the students on um, on two teams, and they roll the Polina, which is a small yellow ball, down the court, and then each team takes turns trying to get their bocce balls as close as possible to the Polina. So, um, you know, they can score anywhere from one to four points, depending on how many of their balls are closest uh, to the Polina. So that's the object of the game. Um, and I think you sometimes associate this um, as, I think people think it's a, an older sport that people play, but it's really uh, quite exciting. Last night at, at the championship match, it was really, we were all biting our nails, very nervous because it came down to the last point. So it can, it can be really dramatic just as much as I think any other sport can be. You said earlier before our interview about competing for the Delaware County title, and now you're moving on to Hershey. Can you tell us a little more about what that means? Yeah, so we have been, we've been playing all season, different um, schools within Delaware County. And so we had our, our Delaware County championship match last night where all the schools participated and we had two different divisions the red division and the black division and we had uh, we have two teams that play for our school um, we all practice together but each team can have a maximum of eight players and we have a lot of participants so we have two teams um, and one of our teams in the black division won first place for the district championships so now we're going to be moving on to the state championships in Hershey. Strathaven's bocce team serves a special purpose and is part of the Special Olympics Unified Sports. Talk to us a little bit more about what that actually means. So unified sports, I think a lot of times when you think of Special Olympics, you think about kids who have disabilities um, participating in different sporting activities. But with unified sports, what we do is we, we have the kids in the life skills or the autistic support programs um, working alongside with their neurotypically functioning peers. So we have, we have kids from 
from gen ed classes who are partnered with the athletes and are on the team with them. So we have an equal number of partners and athletes. So the athletes are the students who have um, disabilities and the partners are the students who do not. Um, so it's, it's really wonderful because they get a chance to interact with each other and I think it's had a really positive impact um, on all who participate. So I know Special Olympics recognizes a number of sports in the unified categories, such as uh, basketball and softball. Uh, why was bocce chosen as the sport to use uh, for this effort at Strathaven? Uh, well, when Mike Bovino, the uh, director of Special Olympics Unified Sports, contacted me um, as the high school principal, he offered us two sports. One was track and field in the springtime, and the other was unified bocce in the wintertime. And um, we actually have an inclusive program in track and field. Uh, we're fortunate enough to be able to uh, maintain a program that involves students from all different backgrounds and ability levels. And so we felt bocce would be a terrific opportunity in the winter uh, to offer an inclusive sport uh, for our students, both typical and, and atypical. And so um, we were very happy to bring that in, into play. The challenges for us were finding the gym time to practice, um, along with our indoor basketball and wrestling programs in the wintertime. But we found through the athletic office and all of our coaching staff uh, that everybody was very supportive of um, navigating those challenges and making time and space for bocce to be added as a sport. And it's really turned out well. Last year, the team spearheaded a campaign called Spread the Word to End the Word. What was that campaign about? So the Spread the Word to End the Word campaign um, is about using the R word, um, the word being retarded. And we, we did this campaign saying, you know, we, we want to eliminate that word from our vocabulary. Um, you know, that's not a word we want to use. You know, the R word that we want to use is respect. Um, and so we had students um, mainly from the bocce team, had made a video uh, with the life skills and autistic support students talking about all the other wonderful words that you can use other than that word to describe a person. Um, and so we had, we sent that out and in our first block classes we had the teachers play it to all the students in the high school. Um, we had students sign a pledge saying that they would, they would not use the R word. Um, and it was really successful, and I think it was a really great way to spread awareness about that. So the bocce team has impacted students with special needs and those in the general population of the school. How has that come about? Well, for my students in the life skills classroom and, and for Kelly's students in the autistic support classroom, I think it's had, it's had such a great impact on them. Um, you know, I, I think... I think a lot of the kids in my class, they grow up together being in the same life skills class, you know, throughout their education um, because there, there aren't multiple life skills classrooms. There's, there's one, and so these kids have been around each other a lot, and they, they don't have as much interaction with their typically functioning peers. And so this is one way um, to provide an opportunity to do that. And, you know, my kids will be in elective courses and things like that, but I think this is uh, much more of a bonding experience where there are kids who are intentionally there to spend time with them, to get, them, to, get to know them, to support them. Um, and I just think that 
that my students have had such a great time with it and have been just absolutely thrilled to to have those interactions with with their peers. And, and from the administrative perspective, as far as the general student population is concerned, um, I've just seen a tremendous, tremendously positive impact. Um, I think that among the group of students who are involved in the program and um, their peer groups, um, what I see is an, an increased appreciation and awareness of um, how great this group of peers can be. The, there are friendships that have been formed. Um, last year, a group of students um, attended the birthday party of, of one of the students in Sarah's classroom, and they attended, you know, not in a volunteer mindset, but actually as friends um, who had, you know, developed relationships um, over their involvement in the sport. Um, I think that, you know, towards that end, a lot of stereotypes have been broken um, for typical peers about um, their atypical classmates, and I think that's been really essential in um, increasing just the educational level um, and the sense of community in the building. Um, I also really enjoyed, uh, last year we had a faculty exhibition, mm -hmm. and the students involved in the program, um, and in particular Sarah's students, were teaching faculty members how to play bocce, and I think I really saw their pride in being able to share with me, for example, how to do a better job of playing bocce because I had never played before, um, and um, I had several students who were, you know, laughing with me and joking about, you know, my lack of skill and trying to help me to get better. Um, and I think that that put them in a position that they're not typically in as teachers. And uh, I, I saw their pride uh, in that sense. And then even just uh, being at the championships last night and in a few of our contests this year, I just see the joy. Um, the absolute joy of the students in the program, um, regardless of their um, educational level or background. Last night there was one point at which we were really in a tight match um, for the state championship berth, and uh, afterwards one of the students who's a very strong academic student said, I have never been so nervous, um, and she plays soccer and, um, you know, is a student who has capable of being a Division One athlete, but she said that moment when she was rolling that bocce ball for the championship, she really thought was the most nervous she's ever been in an athletic moment. Um, so I think that there's an increased level of respect, as Sarah mentioned, um, as well as friendship. So just a great, it's been a really positive, terrific opportunity for our community. Sounds like a tremendous program, and we appreciate you both joining us today. Thank you. Of course, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Keystone Education Radio. We'll talk to you next time. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.